0: Hi, I'm Kelly Cervantes, and this is Ceasing Life, a bi-weekly podcast produced by Cure Epilepsy. This week, we bring you another episode recorded at Epilepsy Awareness Day at Disneyland. This annual event gathers epilepsy groups, advocates, clinicians, researchers, patients, and families for three days of awareness, education, and information, featuring seminars and presentations on the newest advances in epilepsy therapies and technology. Today, we speak with two organizations that focus on a rare epilepsy syndrome. These small, grassroots organizations offer community support and hope to families living with a rare epilepsy diagnosis. Groups like these are essential in raising awareness and funding research for rare epilepsy syndromes. So talking with Dr. Justin West with the KCNT1 uh, Foundation, and I want to start by learning how the foundation was formed.
1: So, several years ago, there was a father who started the initial version of our foundation. Um, He had a daughter who had been diagnosed, he was an attorney, and he was given some advice that uh, if he wanted to be able to interact with pharma teams, that he should uh, have a foundation. If he wanted to be able to bring a a potential trial to an academic center, that he needed a foundation, so he did that. Um, We ended up meeting because everybody in our, our community is small and you get to know each other. Uh, my wife and I had been talking about starting a foundation, and we thought, well, if there's already a foundation, maybe rather than have multiple competitive foundations, we should start of find a, a way to work together. So I approached Seth, and um, it seemed that you know we were clearly on the same page that advocacy for our children was paramount. It was the single most important thing that we were doing in our lives. So we started working together, and we took a what was a small foundation, um, brought in some very important people like our executive director, who's somewhere behind me, <laughs> and we turned it into a 501c3, and, and we brought in all the I think core elements that gives a, a foundation some power.
0: That's amazing. And now tell us about your connection to the foundation and why you are so passionate about this.
1: So my six-year-old son, Andrew, he's our third. Uh, he was born uh, right around the corner at Hogue Hospital in Newport Beach. When he was born, he had a very normal pregnancy, normal delivery. Um, he had been meeting all his milestones. We, we had what we thought was a very normal, healthy child. Um, and then when he was about four months old, my wife called and said, he's doing something I don't understand. He had had this subtle movement of his foot. We're both physicians, but we've, neither of us had ever seen a seizure in our lives other than what you see on TV, mm-hmm. which is over-dramatized and it's not what typically we see here probably. And uh, yeah. so that brought us to, a, to an ER visit and we found this diagnosis. Uh, it took about three months to get the genetic diagnosis, but we essentially had a, an epilepsy diagnosis by the time he was, let's say, four months old. Cause unknown at the time. Fast forward to seven months now, we know we have a KCNT1 child.
0: Okay, and what uh, what are the goals of the foundation?
1: So you know, we, we put a lot of thought into that whether we wanted to be a parent support organization or if we wanted to focus on research and drug discovery. Mm-hmm. As a surgeon, you know, in a space where there was essentially no dedicated therapeutics for KCNT1, I decided early on that my philosophy was we should be all about driving uh, therapeutics. Um, we, we, all, we happen to, we do some nice things to support our community on the side, but really the focus is drug discovery, you know, doing everything we can to de-risk and to create programs and initiatives that support IND-enabling studies.
0: Yeah, well, research is at my heart as well, so I completely um, understand that. Can you explain to us um, how the KCNT1 mutation affects children?
1: Sure, yeah. So... Um, KCNT1 codes for something called the Slack channel, which is a sodium-gated potassium channel in the brain. You can find it throughout the body, but the biggest concentration is in the brain. So what happens when you have that mutation is that you get an imbalance, like a lot of our epilepsies, between inhibition and excitation. So Andrew has, uh, it's a gain of function mutation. His channel is just firing way too actively. And so the strategy is to not either block those channels or to knock down the production of those aberrant channels.
0: So what epilepsy syndromes does that cause? What kind of seizures do KCNT1 patients experience?
1: So there's a couple different phenotypes, uh, like three, Um, but in general, we have groups of children who start having seizures in the first few days, weeks or months of life. They can have anywhere from 10 to 150 seizures a day, very heavy seizure burden. Essentially, once those children start having seizures, you know, they end up in the hospital, multiple medications. They essentially arrest in development at that point uh, whether it's the seizure burden or the heavily sedating medications. Uh, and there's two, there's two phenotypes that sort of overlap in that category. Then we have kids who are affected a little bit later. Developmentally, they're actually pretty normal. Um, they have nocturnal seizures predominantly, and they can sometimes have some psychiatric issues, but they can be really high function. So we, we have these sort of, you know, these extremely sick children, and then some children who can kind of go out and have a relatively normal life. Um, our focus tends to be because they're so sick and we have this high mortality in these younger groups to really, you know, to help those families. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the people that we end up interacting with the most.
0: And what is, you know, you're talking about, I mean, the wide spectrum that KCNT1 patients experience and it sounds a lot like your regular epilepsy where you have, you know, the severely impacted and then those that can ideally lead more typical lives. I wonder what is sort of the prognosis difference there?
1: So if you get, if you're in that, that, of the three phenotypes, if you're in that first two categories of these very early onset seizures where it's happening 24/7, the life expectancy is kind of scary. You know, up to 25% of our children die within the first five years. Um, Whether it's respiratory complications, SUDEP, you know, any other number of complications. Um, So those are the ones that we would call like medically fragile. They're the ones that we worry about on a daily basis. In our community, those are the parents posting their children in the ICU, in and out over and over multiple times per year. So our goal, I think, in the short term is how do we support these families with the drugs that exist and optimize their care for now with what we have to keep them as strong and healthy so that when targeted therapies come along in a year or three or five, they're ready and and they meet the criteria to enter those, those trials and they're not too sick and therefore excluded. So in the short term, we're really focusing on managing to the best that our doctors can, managing the the care of these very sick children in preparation for trials. And they're coming, which is exciting.
0: That is incredible. And you're sort of leading me into my next piece, which is, I know that KCNT1 and CURE Epilepsy were able to partner on a grant to help push that science forward. Can you tell us about that grant that we were able to partner on?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, we're fortunate. KCNT-1, it happens to be on the mind of a lot of really smart researchers and and drug developers. And so we we had a team um, that had a proposal to try to get a better understanding of the distribution of channels within the brain. And the thought was, if we can potentially super selectively target not just the whole brain, but specific areas of the brain, that we might be able to save children from the impact of the side effects of the drug targeting the whole brain. So it's a really interesting idea. I've not encountered anybody else working on it. So we were excited by the proposal and, and it's so ex- and excited that somebody cared enough about KCNT-1 to submit that. And we were really excited that he was a, was really excited about it. So, it was one of those kind of magical moments where we thought, wow, we're all really excited about the same thing. Let's do something with this. So, it's
0: incredible. Yeah, you
1: know, Excited to see what happens. It'll probably take time for that to translate into something actionable, but I think it addresses some of these really core questions about what part, is it the whole brain or is it parts of the brain? And I think you have to understand these core biological questions so that you can create therapeutics that are more most meaningful.
0: Absolutely. I feel like that is so much at the core of why so little of epilepsy and seizures are understood because there are these core mechanisms that we just don't understand in the brain that we understand in spades, say, in the heart. (laughs) And so um, I appreciate you bringing that up. Where do you see KCNT1 research going in the next five years?
1: Uh, You know, it's an interesting question. So that's the kind of question that we ask our science advisory board is to say, you know, what are the knowledge gaps? You know, what are the areas that we know well enough and which should we ignore because we have enough information but what are the areas that we still need to, you know, and do we even know what those areas are? So some of them I think are fairly obvious to our scientific team. And that means getting somebody to pick up a project and then fund that project and then sit and let it cook and hopefully put something out that's actionable. Um, so, you know, I think that the, the the question being answered specifically by this proposal is what was one of those key questions. Is it the whole brain or part of the brain? In terms of other areas, well, this came up just the other day actually, finding opportunities, to cluster different types of epilepsies together. So, for example, we're a potassium channel, and there's lots of channelopathies, and we have some evidence out there sometimes that for a specific, uh, we, so we have a, an ASO that was created for KCNT1, and there's data out there that that ASO that was super selectively targeted to our mutation, an, an antisense oligonucleotide. Oh, my oh, word. Okay, so this <laughs> here's the quick, the quick and easy, dirty version, and please don't show this to your scientists. But DNA is a double-stranded molecule. Yes. To, and all of our bodies are essentially function on proteins. The way you get a protein is the DNA separates, you create what's called messenger RNA, which is a single strand, okay. and that messenger RNA gets translated, translates into proteins that you they, so in our case, it's a protein that goes into the cells of the cell membrane, and it controls uh, uh, ion channel flow. So if you have a bad protein being made, a strategy can be to make essentially a piece of velcro, that is complementary to a part of that mRNA, once it binds, you can essentially tell this thing to degrade itself so you don't make the bad copy. Amazing. Yeah, it's really cool science. Uh, And there's lots of people working on this. I think it's one of the most exciting things going on in medicine in general and specifically for epilepsy.
0: That's incredible. Justin, thank you so much for sharing all of this with us and um, wishing you and your family the best.
1: Thank you so much, I really appreciate it.
0: So nice to meet you.
1: Hi, this is Brandon from CURE Epilepsy. Since 1998, CURE Epilepsy has raised over $90 million to fund more than 280 epilepsy research grants in 17 countries. Learn what you can do to support epilepsy research by going to cureepilepsy.org. Now back to Seizing Life.
0: So we're here with Liz Ramirez, who's going to talk to us about the CUTE Syndrome Foundation share with us how the organization was began and what the mission is. Sure,
2: our uh, founding uh, director was Hilary Savoy, and her daughter had a suite of symptoms that was at that time undiagnosed. And so when people would ask her, you know, we get the question sometimes, what's, what's wrong with her? She said, oh, it's, it's the cute syndrome that she has. And turns out that her daughter Esme had a couple of genetic differences. Yeah. Um, yeah. And one of those was actually a genetic mutation to the scn 8 a gene which is a gene that encodes um, sodium channels, which are prevalent in our brain and which, you know, when they aren't working the right way, cause epilepsy for most of our patients. So the foundation was created to increase awareness and to uh, support clinicians and researchers so we can find out more about it and support families and individuals living with an sn 8 a genetic disorder.
0: Well, we certainly love research um, in cure epilepsy. And so can you explain to us what some of the symptoms are that experience with this particular diagnosis? Well, we see with our kids, they
2: kind of run a long, like a wide variety, kind of a spectrum, depending on where on the SCN80 gene the genetic kind of change happens. So some of our kids will be much more severely impacted. Um, the vast majority of our families do have, or, or in, patients have, have some kind of epilepsy, but not all of them, some of them oh, have more like, Autistic like features, or some of those kids used to have seizures and then they outgrew them or they stopped having the, the seizures. Um, uh, some of them have cortical visual impairment, some of them have digestive challenges like gastrointestinal. Um, a lot of them have developmental dis- delays or disabilities, learning disabilities, uh, learning challenges.
0: Can you tell us? You mentioned, I think it's interesting, you know, the, the spectrum and not all SCN8A patients experience seizures, but the ones that do, what kind of seizures do they typically experience? Every kind
2: we are finding. Some of them have infantile spasms from very young, uh, absence, uh, you know, general generalized tonic-clonic.
0: And do they appear over the course of their life, or is there do they typically appear when they're younger or? Well, for a lot of them, it's younger, like as infants, my son started
2: having them at 10 months old. Some of them, some moms actually have reported that they're pretty sure their kids had started having seizures in utero. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, uh, but generally it happens fairly early on for our patients, yeah. Um,
0: and then what is, you know, I imagine that because the way that it affects um, Patients is so varied. The prognosis is probably also varied. But can you speak to that a little bit and and what the prognosis does look like?
2: Well, I think probably the number one thing is keeping the seizures under control, which can be a challenge. There, um, a lot of our families have tried every different medication out there, VNS, you know, all sorts of things. And sometimes the efficacy of those medications kind of wears off, and so you end up trying different things. Um, so really, I think that's a huge. Kind of determinant in um, quality of life um, but we have some families in our uh, support group we have a facebook online support group and we have adults who are living happy healthy lives which is awesome amazing. Um, yeah one of my co-volunteers here has a daughter an adult daughter who um you know she struggles with seizures and things like that but i think she knows she's well loved and she has happy days and she has rough days too so yeah. i think a lot of um A lot of our well-being of our of our patients and our kids um, really does depend on the quality of seizure control that they have yeah Yeah. and that was true for us too when we had decent seizure control which for us was maybe like a few a month you know we had decent quality of life but when for a lot of us you know we'll kind of go through ups and downs where we'll have like semi-decent seizure control but sometimes that you know the medication will wear you know stop working as well then we'll have like so many seizures and we'll have clustering of seizures um, status epile- epilepticus, and then our kids will land up in the hospital. So we see we see kind of a huge a lot of different kind of varied outcomes yeah. in our kids. yeah.
0: And I know very exciting that cure Epilepsy and acute syndrome were able to partner on a research grant. Tell us what the aims of that grant are. Sure, we're partnering with Cure Epilepsy to fund some research done out
2: of uh, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Dr. McKee is looking at the longitudinal data of SCNA patients that has been. Uh, kind of collected by and compiled by Citizen. Um, and what we're doing is we're kind of analyzing or they're analyzing that data just to see if we can better understand kind of the, like I said, the longitudinal progression of our kids who are impacted by sn related disorders.
0: I think it's so interesting and important for people to understand that these medical records are out there and a lot of times, you know, it's fairly easy to make them anonymous so that, they, you know, we're not, yeah. you know, crossing HIPAA yeah. lines, but that this, data is out there and it just needs to be mined for information but all of that takes money and it takes someone to sit down and actually look through it who has that information who has that knowledge and that experience that knows what to look for and um, but it does it takes effort it takes these grants it takes money and and organizations like ours that will go through and mine it and try and pull this information out yes and i think there's especially some
2: particular challenges with our kids because a lot of us like i had taken my son to all sorts of specialty hospitals so his medical records we're at Children's Hospital Orange County and Kaiser and Cedars-Sinai. Yeah, and so yeah. and on top of being, you know, a parent of a medically you know, involved child, then you're having to track medical records. And so it's really nice to have them all in one place Yeah. with Citizen. They've done that for us, compiled them they collect them. We can even update them. And so it's all there. And then that, like you said, that data can be mined for
0: important information and in treating our, our patients. Yeah, yeah that's amazing. Where do you see research for SCN8A going in the future? Well, we would love to see,
2: and we are actually already seeing some uh, clinical trials for pre- precision medicine. Amazing. A lot of, yeah, it is It is really incredible the amount of work that has been done over the past few years. And right? because a lot of the anti-epileptic medications, um, they might, they may help with the seizures, but then there's a lot of other, Impacts, right, Mm -hmm. on their organs or on their functioning. And so with precision medicine, right, there's an opportunity to just focus on the part that is dysfunctional and yes. not impact as much the other areas so mm-hmm. that we can control the seizures and you know whatever else what other other dysfunction
0: Keep the patient more alert yes
2: and that's a huge challenge sometimes there's um yeah alertness issues but also sometimes insomnia right which mm-hmm. is terrible because the more tired you are then the more
0: likely seizures, like, are you are have seizures. Have, yeah. so
2: it's like it's a really tough decision right where you have to control the seizures but it comes at a really high cost to our community so I think precision medicine is really really
0: exciting for yeah. us so and it's, I feel like it's around the corner. That's incredible. Liz, thank you so much for sharing your journey and this whole experience with us. CUTE Syndrome and Cure Epilepsy is just so thrilled that we can part, partner with your organization on this research.
2: Thank you so much. Yes. It was really nice
0: meeting you. Nice to meet you too. Thank you to Dr. Justin West of the KCNT1 Foundation and Liz Ramirez of the CUTE Syndrome Foundation for taking time to speak with us at Epilepsy Awareness Day. And thank you to both organizations for their work on behalf of families living with a rare form of epilepsy. Cure Epilepsy understands the importance of grassroots organizations. That's why we have collaborated with these organizations on the Rare Epilepsy Partnership Award. Like the organizations we profiled today, Cure Epilepsy began with a handful of mothers gathered around a kitchen table desperate to find answers and improve epilepsy care for their children. 25 years later, Cure Epilepsy has raised more than $90 million to fund epilepsy research and other initiatives that will lead us to a cure. If you would like to help us achieve our goal of a world without epilepsy, please visit cureepilepsy.org forward slash donate. Cure Epilepsy, inspiring hope and delivering impact. Thank you.
1: The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CURE Epilepsy. The information contained herein is provided for general information only and does not offer medical advice or recommendations. Individuals should not rely on this information as a substitute for consultations with qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with individual medical conditions and needs. CURE Epilepsy strongly recommends that care and treatment decisions related to epilepsy and any other medical conditions be made in consultation with a patient's physician or other qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with the individual's specific health situation.